0: Welcome to Muscle Talk, where you'll get world champion advice about nutrition and stacking on muscle. Our host, Christine Inville, she's a three-time world champion bodybuilder, an IFBB professional, a food scientist, and a founding co-owner of our podcast sponsor, International Protein. In this episode, we've invited guest speaker, Joey Cantlin, who's renowned for prepping athletes for comps. He's been a judge on the international stage and he's a wealth of knowledge. So Joey, you're renowned for prepping athletes for comp. Tell us how you got started in your career.
1: Okay. So I think I've been in the industry for, from now, 20, nearly 28, so about eight years. I was actually pretty, this, this story, it's not funny, but it, it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I'd been a PT for probably a year and then I just had someone pick up my card at the gym that wanted to do a show. And she said, do you specialize in prepping people for shows? And I said, well, yes. I haven't. Did you just say yes? Did you fake it until you make it? No, I was, I was honest about it. But when I got into the industry, like nutrition really fascinated me. Like it was something that I was always really keen on learning a lot of. So I'd spent a good year up late at night watching videos, watching, reading lectures and stuff like that, reading transcripts. I said, look- I've never actually prepped someone, but I've been sort of preparing myself to do this for a long time now. So I'm happy to do it if you, if you trust me to do it and yeah, sure enough she did. And then there was another girl that uh, started with me probably halfway through her prep and they both ended up doing actually really well. They both looked fantastic. And then, Luckily enough, one of those girls was quite popular on Instagram and it was pretty hard to be well-known on Instagram then. It wasn't much of a thing. So I was lucky enough to get a lot of exposure from that and here we are. And that's brilliant. And you actually kind of specialize in helping female athletes too. Is yeah, right? like the last sort of couple of years it's been more men mm-hmm. but still a lot of females. Um, but earlier in my, I guess, coaching career it was majority females just because that's where it started. Being very female specialized, it was it was hard to break into that male section and get men to trust you as well because men are a little bit different. They're a little bit more, um, I guess, self-sufficient in, in this sort of industry. So, yeah. Right. And um, when you're, I guess, prepping females,
0: it's it's far more critical, like with the can body be. fat.
1: It as, can be, yeah. Can you yeah. elaborate on that? Yeah. So when we look at, like, when I look at a female athlete, it's important to just view them as an athlete, just an athlete, not, not a female athlete, not a male athlete, and start working with them based on that. Mm-hmm. And then you just keep track of sort of, I guess, the trends. And then sometimes a female might show more female dominant sort of trends. Some don't. So it's important to just treat every athlete like an athlete in the beginning. And then it can get a little bit different from there. Yeah.
2: Okay. So how would you start out? like with, with a, a person comes to you and says, okay, mm-hmm. I want to get ready for this show, mm-hmm. um, what, what are the first things that you do or what do they need to bring to you and, and what what do you bring to them?
1: Yeah, well, the first first thing I always do is obviously conduct a consultation and you try and get a good idea of how long that person has been training for, how long that person has been mm-hmm. tracking for, where their knowledge base is at because some people, they can sort of jump straight into a plan without having to actually have the education because they already have it some people actually need to be educated so obviously we get all their statistics and whatnot and set them up on a plan from there and just adjust from there but people who don't have as much experience then it's a little bit more of an education first kind of thing and teaching them you know the importance of nutrition training around all that kind of stuff so
2: so we've done a lot of talking here about plans and programs so Mm -hmm. do you find some people that want to compete have like no routine or they they really don't understand that is that what you bring to them like the plan or
1: yeah so some people already have that routine set in place and they've already been practicing I guess along the lines of what they already need but some people just come to me and say I want to do a comp but they haven't actually committed to going to the gym three to five days a week once in their life they haven't ever tracked their food so for those people I say okay we can do this but for you like you're not going to be starting a contest prep for six to 12 months because I need to see that you can commit yourself without the deadline of a show.
2: And how do you do that? Like what, how do you do that?
1: You you just have to tell them that that's, that's basically what it takes. And sometimes people are willing to get stuck into it. Sometimes people aren't, but you can find out pretty quick who's going to be able to do it and who can't.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so when it comes down to the, like the diet side of it, Mm -hmm. someone who's, not really had a, st- a, a set diet, how, like, how do you get them onto that? Like is it, a, is it a cold turkey, here you go, off they go, or is it you find that you have to kind of work with them and they keep falling off and, and getting back on? And
1: Yeah, well, I mean everyone's different and some people take a little bit longer than others. In the beginning, someone who may not be as much experience, have as much experience or just doesn't have that level of discipline, you try and work around, I guess, what they already do and mesh it between what you want them to do and slowly transition them into exactly what you want them to do. Cause I find with some people, some people are all in or all out, but some people are just often all out. So you have to slowly, yeah, get them, get them into it.
2: Yeah. So I was pointing at you then, Ash. Yeah.
1: Oh, <laughs> is that what that was?
2: Yeah. You are half us. No, yeah, all out. <laughs> all yeah. out. Yeah. Because that because that's something that we do talk about a lot here is that um you know, having a program and mm. I know I I haven't prepped a lot of people, but when I look back over the years, I did prep a lot of people and that's where I would always start like how many, how do you take someone who eats three times a day to try to get them up to five or six mm. and without messing with their own routine too mm-hmm. much, but giving them what they need to do. Yeah. And then obviously the things which were non-negotiable and it pretty mm. much is like, no, you you have to yep. do this. Yep. So you work like on the training and on the nutrition mm-hmm. and the mindset side of things mm-hmm. or do you just like what's your main focus? Oh, a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, a bit of
1: everything. So some people I only work with them for their nutrition because they're competent enough in their training. Um, some people are the opposite. Some people do their own nutrition and I do their training.
2: I know for myself I have a, a very um, definite idea as to where I think people's macros need to be for competition, mm-hmm. and it, it's not a lot of flexibility, like mm-hmm. regardless of what a person. Do you have that same approach or do you, like each person, you might have a, a radically different um, macro you know, based on what you think they need, how do you how do you approach the nutrition side of it?
1: Well, everyone has different requirements, and everyone's genetics are different as well, which is why I always tell people when they first come to me, the last thing I want to do is throw you straight into a diet because I need I need at least two months to see how that person responds to said protocols. So, some people might have a very adaptive metabolism, so that would mean that when you're going on the way down, their their metabolic rate adapts very quickly, so you have to adjust their calories calories a little bit more frequently if I don't know that going into a diet, then I'm going to be scratching my head quite frequently and we might not make it. So you've got to take into account, obviously physical differences and sex differences and that kind of stuff, but also genetic variability, which you can pretty much find out through that initial phase.
2: Yeah. But do you have like, um, you know, certain foods that you kind of like, you know, but you know, the chicken and the rice, the oatmeal and that kind of stuff. Like, are there certain things that regardless of who the person is, That's going in the diet, or how do you approach that? Is it a little bit more flexible than that?
1: In terms of food choice, I try to be fairly flexible because I find if that the athlete is allowed to have some flexibility and sort of pick things that they like, they're probably going to be more adherent. Like if I set out a meal plan for someone, I usually just give someone their macronutrients and give them a list of foods that I'd recommend. But if I tell them that they can only eat these sorts of foods, they might come to me two weeks later and be like, Oh, by the way, I don't like that food. So I just didn't eat it. I'm like, well. The whole plan is stuff now because you just spent two weeks on x amount of calories when I thought you were doing this. So yeah, I try and give them a little bit, little bit of flexibility, so it's a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah, so and you're not a you're not a hard ass on them. You're a friendly. Uh, every, a friendly everyone coach. everyone requires different approaches. Like some people, I've got to be really hard on, yeah, because that's just how they respond. Um, some people you you can baby them a little bit. Yeah,
2: yeah, that that's why I never worked out as a, a coach because I'm like mm. you. I don't think you
1: could tolerate people. Like no, being mm.
2: no. As you of, know, of the, I, I don't understand if I've told you how to do something.
1: Yeah, why can't you do it
2: exactly? Like because yeah. yeah. like, I operate at that level. So yeah. this and that would suit certain people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and obviously absolutely yeah, yeah. And and I and obviously spend a lot of time. So being, you're so you're a patient man. That's what we're saying. My patience
1: has worn thinner over the years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. why I'm a I lot guess, more. Yeah, I'm a lot more stern with people now. I guess that's why yeah. you're dealing with the better athletes as yeah. time goes on. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
2: And, and, but, I, but what I was going to ask was like, even close to a show, like say so mm-hmm. two weeks out where it does get really, really critical, mm. how do you then adapt that where a person's had that flexibility to swinging them back to like, you no, know, to deplete and to carb up? You, mm. you know, you actually need to follow exactly this. Do you, or do you not use that approach? Like, how, like, how do you uh, I, I, peaking I, and all that?
1: Kind yeah. Of stuff? I start getting or tightening the reins as we get closer. So I do it progressively. So it kind of happens under their nose and they don't, they don't realize <laughs> it. So, for example, like your margin for error at twenty weeks out is going to be a lot smaller at two weeks out, and that margin of error just shrinks. And you pretty much include that in the plan. And then before they know it, they're they're being a lot more, I guess, precise with their food selections and their um, I guess, their boundaries with their with their flexible dieting targets.
2: Yeah. So um, we had a little note about um, obviously intermittent fasting for mm-hmm. active adults, and that's mm-hmm. something that um. I, you know, I see that crop up more and more. Is that something that you're using with active adults or competitors? Or can you just talk a little bit more about, I guess, what you mean by intermittent fasting? Because I know there's so many different mm. methods of doing that. And I'm, yeah. and I'm just wondering, have you used it in comp prep? Um, or when you say active adults, you're talking more just about people who are wanting to be fit and healthy, not, not specifically going for competition.
1: Yeah. I think intermittent fasting, it's, it's something that everyone can use to some degree. I don't think it's an optimal approach, but for some people, it's the only approach that they can do. So, for example, like shift workers, they might have periods of time where they can't eat for six to seven hours. Like I've worked with paramedics, for example, and if they've got a day where they've they've brought a patient in and then they immediately get a call out after and that happens three or four times in a row, all of a sudden they haven't eaten for their whole shift. So for them, it might be have a meal at the start of the day and just fast for like 10 hours a day for that next 10 hours. And then finish all of their food after that. So it it really depends on the person's lifestyle. If if you don't require intermittent fasting, I don't tell people to
2: do it. Cool. That that's a that's a podcast that we do want to do at some point in time because um I, yeah it's something where I think like I say if you have to do it it'd be very hard to stick to mm. if you don't have to. Yeah, do because it. you'd be
1: sitting and, there twiddling your thumbs, going, "Okay, well, when is it time to eat?"
2: Yeah, yeah, because I think we don't realise how much of our day is associated around or centred around that and even yeah. if it's like, oh, to go and get something or yeah. to plan something or to prep something. Yeah. And I know when you're um, competing, you need that sort of something to yeah. divert your mind, which I, I think I want to delve into that a little bit. Do yeah. you, um, And I know, you know mindset wasn't the topic, but I'm, I'm bringing it mm, in. Because no, that, that to me, that's what differentiates a lot of the time success and failure. Absolutely. And And again, the female-male difference. Do you find that your clients do rely on you for that, I guess kind of that that mental push to get them to stay on track and how do you deal with that when, you know, the client, I guess if they're coming with reasons why they can't do something mm-hmm. or they're just really struggling yeah. with that confidence, yeah. how do you deal?
1: Yeah, I mean, at, at times I think everyone goes through that to some degree, obviously varying degrees. Some people struggle more than others. I've had a lot of athletes who don't require any metaphorical kick up the ass. I've got some <laughs> clients who are just completely bought in from the get-go And all the way to the end, I think some people don't realize how much having an extremely low body fat percentage actually affects you like in every capacity. So some people start behaving in ways that they thought they never would. Like they're all of a sudden lacking motivation to the nth degree. And sometimes that's just a conversation you have to have with people say, Hey, I know it's hard right now, but it's not going to be like this forever. And that's why we don't walk around shredded all the time just t- try and try and teach them the importance of just getting in and getting out it's not going to last forever this is why diets don't last forever so what happens to people when you know do they get really cranky have you got any really funny stories on that oh, i'd have to i'd have to sit there and think for a while about any funny stories but yeah people do change and yep. i think the biggest problem with it is they don't realize they do when they're being grumpy or mm-hmm. hangry or you know lacking energy and just being moody all the time, they don't realise they're actually doing it. So what about, what about you, Christine? Them.
2: Well, I, apparently, um, about a month before a couple of comments, I didn't talk. Mm. Right, I didn't realise yeah. that because in my head, I was having a lot of conversations.
1: It's <laughs> funny <laughs> It's it funny rough. you mention that because I was the same when I dieted for my last show. Uh, my my partner at the time, she often used to joke about like, oh, yeah, I didn't have a boyfriend for two hey. months. And I think back now I'm like, damn, I, I like really did not talk much.
2: Mm. Yeah, big, just, big. Just,
1: just exhausted. And your body, like you, without realizing you're in energy conservation mode, so you're trying to save every little bit of energy you have and, Talking is one of those things.
2: Yeah, and yeah. and that's the thing, you're not aware of it because, as I said, there's a lot of conversations going on in mm-hmm. your head and I know like for me the last two weeks was so radically different to the, the diet. Like I would say set and forget, like you said, you know, you got to tweak it along the way, but those last two weeks is when you really start to manipulate and change things and I'd be mm-hmm. like running through where I was at, what I would need to do, what type of carb I would need to do this time, what I have to deplete, do I have to deplete fully, think about my last show the success of that the timing of that so that was taking a lot of my time from you know probably that eight to eight to six weeks out yeah uh, and so that was very busy uh but i guess it wasn't being vocalized i wasn't bouncing yep. off ideas and things like that and, and like say you'd come home from training do your car- second cardio session then it just do like lights out
1: <laughs> yeah that's it like and the like i said the scary thing is like people don't realize they're like that so sometimes you have to pull them aside and be like wait like Get your shit together. like you yeah. hey, just um, you've still so got to be an adult. Just switching the conversation up, you've done a little bit of judging on natural federations mm-hmm. in
0: India, right? Yeah. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, that, that was very interesting. Um, specifically just mainly because of the people that we judge. So Indians, genetically, they're typically very small people. Mm-hmm. So they have quite small joints. So just a little bit of muscle on it makes them look... Unbelievable. So I remember one, like in one division, I think it was the men's physique overall, and like they were incredible. Like I, I didn't expect them to be as good as they were. I got to give them credit. And I was like, damn, these dudes are like quite jacked. Anyway, we finished up the judging, and I, that was the intermission for the show, and I went backstage to have a chat with some of them, and congratulate them, and they were like up to my shoulder, and I'm, I'm an average height guy, and these guys are tiny, but on stage they just looked unbelievably huge. That was really interesting, but judging is something that I get a lot of joy out of. Like it's it's very interesting. Are you getting asked to do a lot of judging these days? Yeah, there's a federation that I do judge for almost every season. That's cool.
2: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, in India, um, obviously because international protein's strong over there. Like been yeah. in- coming up two and a half years now, mm-hmm. and just growing and growing. So, yeah, they you know the Indian and their love of bodybuilding is it's crazy. It is, and I don't know if you got to travel around too much there, but it's almost like every second little shanty shack thing yeah. is like got a big muscle body painted yeah. on it, and yeah. it's, and it's a gym.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't look like a gym from the
2: outside, <laughs> but it's it's a gym, yeah. and they have a. It's almost like a cultural thing where bigger people do have a better status. Yeah. You know, we were at the expo there and the guys who are like, you know, because as you said, a lot of them Mm. are physically quite small and the ones who are big, they had like an entourage, you know, like dude walking around and he's got like, you know, 50 people following him because they just want to be around a big person. And uh, we took our strongman Rongo over there and they just went, Nuts! Because he's picking up like two Indians at a time and throwing them around, and they were just like, "Yeah, me, I want to be next and stuff." And and, but just their passion for it was just crazy. So I'm going to ask you, how many competitors did they have at that show?
1: Wow, Um, had more than I thought they would. (laughs) Individual competitors, maybe 120. Okay. Yeah, yeah that
2: because I've heard they've had like you know six or twelve hundred people at a wow. at a show just because it's such, such yeah. a huge population and stuff. It's just.
0: Didn't you tell me that they consume the most whey protein out of all countries?
2: Maybe Troy told you that. Okay, I don't know if I told you that, mm. but I mean, with the population yeah. that they have, Makes they, sense. it yeah. would yeah. It, it would make sense because we sell like superior whey is, um, you know, number one, we've actually, the Gourmet WPI is going off over there because it's sweet and free, but the Superior Way, they just just love that product and Warhammer.
1: Right, yeah. I don't know the exact numbers, but for a very first ICN show and for where it was, like, it was a lot more than I thought it would be, but the amount of people that were at the show, oh, my God, and the crowd was, like, going wild. Like, they were really, really passionately into it. It was great. Like, I had a lot of fun over there.
2: Cool, and they're great people too. That's right. They are so, but yeah, they're so interested as well. Like Mm, you know, they're they're
1: hungry for knowledge. Like we, we even did like a, um, uh, like a registration day the day before, and there was three of us judges, and we had to be there just to you know communicate with the competitors and have a chat with them. And yeah, they just had so many questions. It was it was great.
2: So let's talk a little bit more about judging because back in the day, or not so long, Mm -hmm. I judged on and off through Mm -hmm. over the years. What do you find the hardest about judging?
1: When there's a really close decision, but the two physiques are different. That is really close because you got one guy who is like, let's say we've got bodybuilding, right? You got one guy who is massive and just maybe lacking that last bit of condition. But then you got a guy who's really, really small, lacks a bit of shape, but is just shredded to the bone. And it's like, which way do we want to go? What do you sort of want your federation to be known for, like mass or condition? So I think that's the hardest bit is having to make a decision where it's never right, but it's never wrong.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, that, and that's why body, bodybuilding is a subjective sport and mm-hmm. I know that a certain lot of it,
1: judges like certain things.
2: Yeah, and and I know uh, back when I was judging, Victoria was known for liking the shredded look and mm-hmm. in New South Wales judges were known for liking yeah. the bigger look. Generally, every time would go that way. So you knew yeah. that the bigger, smoother guy was going to win in Sydney and then yeah. the shredded guy was going to win in Victoria. Queensland, I'm not quite sure. I think we're a little bit more across the board there but yep. um, but yeah it, it, it is that that mm. thing and that's what I always found like really really tough and I'd be like please let there be something in their posing routine that can let me that you can pick two. out yeah
1: yeah, yeah. I, I I always find like okay you got to look at that bigger dude and say is he shred is he like that big to the point where it justifies him being soft yeah, like, this, like
2: if he was shredded like that guy, would he still be... Exactly Would he right. be bigger than that guy? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, like he's got to be pretty big and pretty well-shaped. Like he's got to tick a lot of other boxes if we can let him get through on that condition. Yeah. yeah. I'm assuming in the judging position you get a lot of criticism. Yeah, I've been lucky enough not to really cop much at all, but I know like in in bigger shows and bigger federations where, you know, there's more at stake, Yeah, some of the judges get a lot of flack. So you need some pretty thick skin. Did, yep.
0: Have you ever had any fleck?
2: Mm, I always got, I would get asked questions and I'd always I be get very, a lot of questions. very yeah. blunt mm. about my answers and then I didn't get much <laughs> questions after that. Yeah, yeah. So
1: we, we, <laughs> if, we always give competitors feedback and if, if they come up and say, oh, why didn't I win? I, I give it to them straight. I'm like, well, the other person was better. And I could give you 10 reasons why.
2: Exactly. And I think that's what people appreciate, even if at the mm. time it's maybe not what they want to hear. But if you have a valid reason and a place, a, a area where they can improve, then yep. I think they take that on. And obviously that's constructive criticism. Yeah. But if you kind of were fluffing around, like, oh, I don't know, like, um, you know, I'm not quite sure why, mm. then it sounds very dubious. Well, so- if you say
0: it right, you're helping them in their journey. And as mm. long as they come to you with a reasonable approach, that's a good yep. thing, right?
2: yeah Yeah, well well that's what it's about too it's about having better competitors on stage next time yeah you know them improving as a competitor yeah and
1: it's important to let you know the competitors know if it was a close decision say yeah it was very close and just because you didn't win it doesn't mean you weren't incredible that person was just that little bit better and I think sometimes people struggle with that is when they don't win they feel like they've failed or they feel like they look crap and it's like no you actually look really good and someone who looked like a veteran pro showed up like that's
2: yeah that's like, unlucky and that's the thing because you are competing against who's there on the day mm, you yeah. know you, you might have been shoe in if that person hadn't turned up but you know, yeah, that, that's how bodybuilding goes every time exactly it's yeah. just all
1: about what shows up and like i said with the big and the small guy like you don't know what's going to show up
2: yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's the thing again where a lot of the time with the judging panel it's why they have mm. an uneven number Yep. so that it, yep. it tries we always to have eliminate yeah yeah because you might have that because subjectively you and i may have a different opinion i may mm. rate size a little bit over condition and yep. then you know so you have to assume that like four people went one way three people went the other and that's the thing yep. it's that close but it mm. is a very aussie thing i think where coming second is the end of the world whereas. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, we don't celebrate it anymore.
2: It, yeah, yeah. Whereas it's it still
1: like, a loss. Exactly. Yeah. You guys come
0: second in the rugby all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs>
2: Wait, I don't follow what, I went rugby. I think you're
0: fourth. Of, yeah. I, I don't follow who's rugby number yeah, one, Who's number one? Just uh, throwing it in. I
2: don't know. I don't know. What's rugby. What, the <laughs> <laughs> what on earth is
1: that? Is the, New Zealand still the best? Of course they are. Yeah, they always yeah, they have okay. been consistently. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's because that's all they do over there, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. There's, of course, the sheep as well. But we won't get into this. Yeah. We'll leave that one out.
2: Throwing me. always has to bring it down a level
0: (laughs) so joey um let's let's give you a little bit of a plug here if obviously you're good at what you do if Mm -hmm. people want to get in contact with you or if they want to start prepping for a comp how do how do they what are the steps they need to take
1: uh just send me an email okay what's your email joeycantlinpt at gmail.com if you want to like view some of my work or the clients I've worked with, you can check me out on Instagram at Joey PT. I don't have a website, never had a website. You probably um, don't need it. I've, yeah, I've never needed it. I know lots of people who do have websites who doesn't really help their business anyway. It, yep. it looks cool to have one. Yeah, uh, Maybe I will get one one day, but yeah, I just use
0: Instagram. Cool. Perfect. And um, is, is there any sort of pre-work they can be doing in the meantime before they come to you? Is there this, like the ideal... If they could come to you on the
1: ideal sort of platform, Mm -hmm. what would it be? Start practicing what you're going to need in prep. So start practicing tracking your food. Start actually putting in the work towards building your physique. So don't come to me and you've had four weeks off training or you've only been training for, you know, three months. Like you need to have been training for a substantially longer period of time to even consider going into a show. And I get everyone's got to start somewhere, but there is no point going into a 24, 30 week prep when you don't have any muscle or any shape because by the time you cut down, you're just gonna look skinny. Yeah. Yeah. So is there are there reasons why you turn people away? And if there are, what are they? Uh well, the first reason will be because I'm just too busy at that time. Yeah. I've always been big on trying to help as many people as I can, but it obviously gets to a point where you don't want to affect your quality of service as a coach. You know, you've still got a lot of people who paying you for a good service so you do have to put that first although it's tempting to try and get as much business as you can you've got to sometimes turn it away yeah and some people just aren't ready to undertake something like that yet like they might have some behavior traits that just don't align with getting ready for a show they might not have good behaviors around eating i find that's a pretty common one as people come to me and they're using bodybuilding or bikini shows or fitness shows as a way to fix their eating disorder or to further fuel it without realizing it. So if you can see that behavior, you know, you say, Hey, I can work with you, but we need to do these things before we start a contest prep or consider competing
0: okay hey this has been really interesting christine do you have anything else you want to throw in there
2: it was a little bit around the you know how long before someone should compete because something mm-hmm. that kind of yeah. came up and we talked about if someone's yeah. only got a little bit of training under mm-hmm. their belt what is the average amount of training that someone would have and i know it's different for everybody yeah. but what would be the is it like two years of training or one mm-hmm. year of training before you would say okay you're gonna have enough muscle to step on stage yeah like what's what's the average
1: yeah well like i said it it, it differs between people some people have incredible genetics and They look at a dumbbell and they grow muscle. Um, Some people might need three to five years of actual solid training before they look like they belong on a stage. Some people might need six months. I would say average is like maybe 18 months. You want to have at least been training for, but then you've got the nutrition component. Like you should be relatively well educated around nutrition. And that's why I try and get people in their off seasons before they even consider starting prep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now that's that's. I think that's what the point that I wanted to make because I know a lot of people do. They kind of get so excited because they see people on Instagram Mm. that are competing. Walk in the gym. Two weeks later, they're wanting to do a comp. Yeah. Um, And that's probably the first thing that's going to kill their enthusiasm for training if they because it is it is still hard work. I don't want to put people off, but
1: it's very
0: hard.
2: Yeah. yeah, We don't want to underestimate you know undersell um, the work and the commitment that it does take. So
1: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, but no, thank you. No, thank Um, you for
1: having me. Very much appreciated.
0: Fascinating stuff. Thank you very much. No worries. Words of wisdom. If you like what you've heard, recognize that these tips are free. So show your support by becoming a loyal international protein customer by jumping online, hunt our product down, and hit that buy now button. So once again, like, share, and subscribe to our podcast so we can continue to bring you these episodes from our one and only. Aussie muscle guru, three times world champion, Christine Enville.